Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. Oh, that, that was really exciting, Adam. I tried to do like one of those Sunday, Sunday, Sunday type deals, but I, I think I was working it out in the middle of it, and I don't think it really got there. I'm working on it next next week. Okay. Well, my name's Jeremy. <laughs> and we're here for the uh, for for another B-Sides. 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 And we're going to start off with X Factor number 65, um, which has some weird, like, it was it's written by, uh, well, it says Chris Claremont did the script, but Jim Lee and Will Sportatio did the plot. Yeah, it's so, a very weird creative staff. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Um, Jim Lee and Will Sportatio on the plot, Chris Claremont on the script, Will Sportatio uh, as the penciler, and then some other people that are fairly fairly normal um we'll have to see where this goes uh, is this ultimately gonna this i'm guessing that this is feeding into x-men number one x-factor reorg x-force although x-force is gonna gonna happen before all that stuff i wonder if will Sportesio and jim lee make more money by doing the plot i don't know it's a good question I mean, ultimately, Chris Claremont is still doing a ton of words. Yeah, so he probably makes the same amount of money, and he hasn't been writing X Factor lately. So yeah, this is just this is gravy for him. Yeah. Oh, I get to work with Scott and the gang. Cool. <laughs> I sort of wonder if it's you know this group and you know maybe Claremont and Lee are sort of like architecting some stuff, and they're like they are on the same page right now, um, and then it all falls apart. It doesn't feel like they're architecting anything based on this issue, but, you know, we can talk about that when we yeah. get over with it. So, I mean, spoilers, like, right on the top corner, right? Because it's, it's just a portrait of the X-Factor team on the cover. Uh, but in the top right-hand corner, you get the bonus feature, the Apocalypse Files. Um, I didn't take that to mean that Apocalypse would be in this issue. Oh, well, he is. Just that there would be, like, G.I. Joe-style... Uh, you know, files at the end of the issue, which there is. And there are, yep. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, this issue is really, it, it's very uh, Chris Claremont, right? We start out with a training montage where Scott's pushing the group and they're talking about, you know, how they got to do better and, and maybe they've done so well isn't because they're so skilled, but just because they've been lucky. It's very, very Claremontian beginning to this issue. Lots of dialogue we get as as her, yep. as we're. Uh, <laughs> well, I was trying to like brush past it because that's effectively all that's happening in the beginning. Uh, this is apparently Endgame Part One. Oh yeah. So this is going to be a couple, like two parter, three parter. I guess we'll find out uh, as we are in the training sequence. Someone somewhere is observing the training sequence, and we get a sort of a hint of that in the first page where the ship loses its power for a brief second. Yeah. And they need to run some diagnostics on that, but the ship's like, nah, I'm fine. Did what? From a, I, I'm going back in time now. From a credits perspective, was Louise Simonson writing before this? Is this her first non X Factor issue? I think. I don't know if she wrote the last two parter, but I, I think she did. I think she, she did too. Yeah. Yeah. So I wonder if this is like she's off New Mutants. She's off X Factor. She's probably working at DC at this point. <laughs> did, did she ultimately go over to DC? Oh, I have no idea. No. So, dunno. Uh, yeah, and so we get some green dialogue boxes, um, sort of going through all of these characters' power sets, and 
and what like a lo- logical counter would be, right? So Cyclops, mm. he fires optic beams in a forward direction, so we got to attack him from the side and the back. Beast has got a lot of strength, so all we have to do is attack him at range. So we being a group of new characters that we're meeting as as we as we introduce each power set, we intru- we can also introduce a new villain who's going to counter. Yeah, so we got that power set. We got Foxbat, who's this guy that is, I think he's got little wings and spiky things. We got a dude named Gauntlet who is got a weird face and a big gun. I think he's basically like mask but armed. Yeah. And then you've got Tusk, who is actually three characters, and I, I think they have a shared uh, consciousness. I think we'll see them later as one being that changes to multiple beings, so yeah. They sort of remind me of Tomax and Zaymot. Because they finish each other's sentences. Right, because you, you start off, they're each kind of going back and forth between the dialogues, and then at the end, in unison, they all say the same thing. Everything's inspired by G.I. Joe. <laughs> I agree. Uh, and then we've got who's this other guy? Uh, this is Synapse. He, we Synapse, don't get his yeah. his name until later when somebody says young and cocky, reminiscent of Synapse. Right, because he's like they ask about Jean Grey and her loss of telekinesis or tele- telepathy. Yeah, uh, but she still has her telekinesis, and he says, "A girl, give me a break. Find the right way to say boo. She'll fold." Guaranteed, absolutely. <laughs> so he's he's a little scummy. Yeah. Uh, and then Iceman, he's overconfident, uh, and he manipulates Ice. Barrage, somebody says off screen, he's yours. Young and cocky, reminiscent of Synapse, which you mentioned. Uh, break his slide to ground him, then counter Ice with raw heat to finish the job. And then we have, like, a birth scene of a cybernetic child. <laughs> It seems like anyways. This is hard drive. Yeah. Looks like a garbage pail kid to me. This first picture does look like a garbage pail kid. And uh, this is the one that's going to, I guess, uh, fight ship. Yeah. Which we learn, uh, we cut, there's Apocalypse. There's oh, yeah. Spoiler. Apocalypse is in the issue. The ship, uh, the ship is their ultimate goal. They don't really, they don't really, uh, are there, they're, they're going to have to fight x-factor obviously to get to ship but they are not the target instead the ship that they both call friend and uh home who must be taught once and for all the final terrible fate of those who betray apocalypse so this is this is kind of going like i mean you know you could just say apocalypse changed his mind but when apocalypse initially gave them or left them ship he seemed like he was kind of okay with it right yep and he was like they're just gonna have to deal with the the secrets of ship. Ha <laughs> ha Yeah. And then we later found out that the secrets of ship were that it used to be some sort of celestial USB drive or something. <laughs> Basically. Yeah, I, I think uh, there was a, an interesting idea that X-Factor would have to de- uh, deal with mysteries and horrors of ship. And then they just never got there and they re- or retconned or, or redid the origin to show that he was a celestial. And now we're circling back around it. Uh, and Apocalypse is mad, I guess, that the ship has betrayed him. So it's like, they didn't, there were no horrors. There were no mysteries. Nope. Ship just betrayed Apocalypse. 
So now he wants revenge. Which isn't how, because it was uh, Fall of the Mutants where it sort of ended and, you know, Apocalypse is like, even though I lose, I win. Ha 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 ha. I didn't paid off. win and now I'm mad. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I won. Yeah. Maybe that's what it was. It's like I had that bravado moment and it didn't pay off. So now I'm actually angry about this whole situation. And people witnessed me. <laughs> yeah. People know of my failure. I need to get a new team yep. who hasn't witnessed me and have them deal with it. Right. And you could you could maybe um, assume that these are the new four horsemen of Apocalypse, even though there's technically five of them with this hard drive person. I don't uh, know what the deal with these guys are. Actually, yeah, I, I guess, guess there's five of the, them. Cause there's, yeah, there's, there's five of them. Synapse is uh, hanging out on – who's the big guy? Uh, that's the th- – Oh, that's Gauntlet. Oh. No, no, Gauntlet's the, the guy with no, the gun. The, the big guy didn't get to say anything, I guess. Yeah, he didn't I think get an like, intro. He's like brute or something. Maybe he's... Well, you can kind of see him on uh, page four, the previous page, or two previous pages. His fist is in the background behind um, Tusk. Yeah. So is he just another part of Tusk? No, he's a, he's his own little character, but he, hmm. Apocalypse didn't ask him to take on anybody. Yeah, you you in the back. You just Quiet. <laughs> <laughs> Your time will come. Synapse, mount him. So after the training session, which goes f- fairly well. Um, Cyclops gives a lecture. Yeah, he, Cyclops is just like, you know, you, you did pretty good. Well, he, I, this is, I didn't understand this. He's like, uh, really impressive people, utterly outstanding. And I don't know if he's being sarcastic. He's being sarcastic. Because his next line is, am I missing something? Or are we supposed to be working together? Yeah, it, it, I was confused, too. So I'm assuming it's sarcasm. Really impressive people. Yeah. Utterly outstanding. I feel like uh, from a lettering perspective, you could do that and just, just uh, italicize the sarcasm. And I, I feel like it would work better. Because I read that and I'm like, oh, Cyclops is really happy with this performance. Right. But he's unhappy that they didn't work as a team. They just worked as individuals. So anyways, Iceman's like, he's, I'm mad. Yeah, he's upset. We... We were just goofing around in the training exercise, but when it comes down to it, we always are awesome. Yeah. So we're X Factor. When the chips are down. We know what we're doing. So then um, basically all the members of X Factor, I guess, take off to go, go blow off some steam and sort of reconnect uh, or attempt to reconnect with their former loves. Yes. Archangel meets up with uh, the, the um, I can't remember her name. Charlotte Cop. Charlotte Cop, whose husband was killed. She's got a kid. She's black. He's a mutant. How could their romance ever work? Uh, and then ultimately they're like, let's kiss. We can make this work. Yeah. Which is it's neat. I like that. I like that whole arc. I don't know if it goes anywhere, but. I do, yeah, I'm sort <laughs> of curious what happens, but because I don't feel like she carries on through no. much longer. Uh, no, I think just about everything gets scrapped when they introduce X-Men number one. Probably. But Cyclops and Jean, they've got a moment where Jean's like, you're too hard on everybody. Uh, and then they're like, let's kiss. Yeah. <laughs> it's a reminiscent moment. They're talking about like the first time they battled Magneto oh, yeah, and the Sentinels true. and they were kids and things were different than they are now. Things were a lot different when our terrors were Eunice the Untouchable and Grotesque and the Vanisher. Which is neat. Yeah. And then Gene is like, yeah, but it all started out with Magneto. 
And Scott is kind of beating himself up over people dying. Yeah. And it's like, I don't want any more New Mutants or X-Men or X-Factor or Thunderbird or Cypher, Warlocks. Nothing like that, man. Does Gene know who Cypher is? Uh, I don't think so. It's a good question. I mean, she's probably read the files. Yeah, yeah. She knows of him. They would have never met. I didn't meet him, but he seemed like a good guy. Yep. I don't know. Who else? Uh, she wouldn't know. Oh, I guess she met. She would have. She met them in New Mutants, and she was in Genosha. Yeah, I'm overthinking so. it. She would have definitely known about Warlock because he was a, a crux of that whole Genosha story. Whether yeah. or not they actually, you know, shook hands is a different story, I guess. Oh, they totally shook hands. <laughs> uh, Bobby goes to hang out with Opal. Um, so they go ice sliding around on a date. Yep. And uh, it's it's going to be lunch, and, and uh, Iceman's like, I'll have her back safe and sound to the record store co-worker, as long as we don't get attacked by aliens or if she gets kidnapped. I thought the record store was an old guy, but now he's like a young guy. All of this whole thing has been redesigned. As I mentioned, like, Opal was kind of a like a, like a frumpy woman and it was kind of neat to see Iceman not hanging out with the hot broad uh <laughs> and now she's uh hot skinny asian broad <laughs> yeah but whatever comics so they go off they go beast uh, just took a shower and uh, he's like i need to find a better way to dry myself off i've got all this awesome fur but it's so hard to keep dry and he's got like two blow dryers He's got three blow three dryers, blow but he's only using two of them. Why does he have the third blow dryer? Shouldn't it be in his foot or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if they really wanted to go out, you'd you'd see each appendage with a with a like maybe what like one foot's holding a towel, and then the other one's got the the hair dryer, and he's like, "This sucks." <laughs> he is videotaping episodes of Trish Tilby's newscasts, which yeah. I don't I don't know if that's supposed to mean that he's doing this for you know, reference for a later date or mm -hmm. if he is obsessed with her. So I f don't know what I was supposed to think as we were watching the first couple of frames. I don't know if we we're supposed to think that um, he's watching live Trish Tilby reports because then at the bottom of the page, he ejects the tape and then grabs another Trish Tilby tape from his shelf. Oh, see, I saw that as he was ejecting the tape because he was recording her broadcast and then he was putting it back. No, these are all old, I think, because okay. he somewhere talks about, like, she's overseas doing some reporting. I don't remember where I got that. But isn't she overseas in this picture? Yeah. Maybe you're right. Maybe... She, in the picture, she's in Saudi Arabia. You're right. She He pulls out the tape, and he off, off panel, I think he writes out the Trish Tilby, Saudi Arabia, 12491 date but then every other videotape on the shelf just says trish trish t colon trish colon trish tilby colon and i gotta wonder like are those tapes he's prepping for future recordings or are those previous recordings already that's a good question because this one does have saudi arabia 12491 mm -hmm. but when he pulls it out of the vcr it has no label that's true i get the impression that he's obsessed or the v the 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 thing is on the other side. They they put the VCR in backwards. <laughs> oh, it's the, one of those VHS tape. It's one of those yeah. VCRs that you put in backward. Yeah, I've seen those. No, I, maybe the labels on the box. Oh, that could the, be sure. The box does have like an orange kind of 
highlight around it. So he doesn't label his tapes, but he labels the box that it came in. Yeah, and this would be a Kodak tape. Kodak tapes had the the yellow uh, case. For sure. Yeah. No, I know that. Oh, yeah. Because I used to buy them. <laughs> they were the expensive ones. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and so he says, I don't know, yeah. Ultimate says, be careful. Yeah. Whatever you're doing out there, Trish, be careful. So, I mean, I guess the implication is that he still has feelings for her, not that he's obsessed, mm-hmm. which is generally what I think of when somebody is taping every episode of a thing. But it's also the news. So, but it, but it only her segments of the news. So, yeah, I think he's obsessed. Yeah. I mean, I guess it could technically be for future research for future things, but. This is comics. He's in love with her. It's obsessive. Yeah. So. The not four horsemen uh, head off towards ship and shoot something at ship that alerts the rest of X Factor. That's there's a, a they fly their they fly their ship into ship. Okay, it's it's no fire and shot. They just go straight in, and they're very excited about it too. Uh, somebody points out that hard drive is really very excited about executing a successful crash landing. No. Yeah. We're getting characterization from these characters by Chris Claremont. Weird. <laughs> so, yeah, Cyclops wakes up, uh, gets Beast uh, into the action, and uh, they see this ship sort of protruding through ship, uh, and that's when the bad guys spring into action. I think the biggest thing out of this is uh, Synapse attacks Jean pretty harshly uh, to take her out of the equation. Uh but then as she screams no, the rest of X-Factor hears that cry in their head. And Beast is like, hey, we're silent. How's this happening? Yeah. I was a little confused by this because what, what happens, I think, is that Synapse reduces her to being a child. Yes. Then she starts saying, please, mister, don't be mean. Don't hurt me. I'll be good. I'll do whatever you want. I'm so scared. And at first, I didn't realize what was happening, and I was like, "Oh, she's she's playing possum. She's gonna she's gonna get she's she's tricking him, and she's gonna get him." But that's not what happens. She is actually turning into a a child. Mm-hmm. It's not very well depicted by the art, mm-hmm. but it is well depicted by the the dialogue, where Synapse has to literally describe what's happening. <laughs> You're a real baby now, Red, in form as well as nickname, and then he. Uh, well, I guess he hasn't yet, so we'll get to that. I guess the rest of X Factor fights. They fight. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Uh, to a degree, I think you're you're seeing them try to take advantage of the weaknesses we talked about earlier. But X Factor does more or less work as a team. X Factor. Is way better than these guys, it seems to me. But yeah, we don't see we don't get any payoff for what we saw earlier, where people are specifically doing the things that they said they were going to do. Yeah, yeah, that's that's fine, I guess. It was uh, it'd be ni- it would be nice to see like a ah uh, oh, that thing that I said I was going to do didn't work or something like that, or have it actually work and then have Cyclops be like. See, fellas, this is what I was talking about earlier. Execute plan Alpha Omega, and then whatever. They solve the problem. Or have it seem like it works, and but, you know, they underestimated X-Factor because they don't rely on one thing. They have right. an alternate thing that they also uh, rely on that 
you know, when the chips are down, like Iceman said, they bounce back. Right. Or you do the cliche where it seems like X Factor is beating the bad guys and then Apocalypse shows up with his ultimate weapon and just knocks everybody out and says, I win. Ha 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 ha. To be continued. Or <laughs> you have the bad guys seemingly win and take prisoner of mm. the good guys and they have to escape. Yep. But they seem to handily take out these bad guys. Uh, yes. And Synapse, we, go, going back to Synapse, mm-hmm. we get to the point where he discovers what I'm assuming is a reference to the Phoenix Force. But uh, he discovers something deep inside of Jean Grey that gets him to completely shut down. And when uh, Jean Grey appears next, she doesn't remember anything of what happens. There is a reference to uh, her playing with Annie mm-hmm. and Annie dying, mm-hmm. um, which I was that was that from a classic X Men or would, did we did we ever do that? I feel like we, we must have. We've talked about it. And I know I know we've talked about it, but I just don't remember actually covering it. Like, what was it from? I I don't I I'm gonna say that it was from classic X Men, but I don't remember. Okay. I feel like it was during the Phoenix Saga run of classic X Men. The backup, some of the backup stories talked a little bit more about Jean's um, origin, and then I feel like that's been worked in over time into X Factor. But I could be wrong. We've read a lot of things, (laughs) (laughs) and continuity gets hard. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so her big takeaway from all of that is like, man, I don't remember anything except for I've got a huge headache. Yep. And then they take so this to me this is all just a big setup for getting Jean's uh, telep- telepathy back. Oh, you think it's that and not another Phoenix Force thing? Because I feel like every they always go to the Phoenix Force, and that's that's the that's the Jean Grey thing. We know that Jean will ultimately be able to retap into Phoenix powers at some point in the future, but I think in order to get there, she ends up getting her telepathy back. And I also feel like in the pages of Inferno, there was like some, some hints at like returning uh, telepathic powers. Yeah. At some point, which they never really touched on. Yeah. After that. Agreed. So these guys are uh, beaten, but apocalypse was very happy about it um, because I think did, did hard drive upload the virus or whatever. I suspect so. Uh, Apocalypse shows up and says, uh, he doesn't, oh no, he doesn't show up. No, he's, he's at his base just posing. He's just posing. Okay. So, uh, hard drive says grave, 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 mutant and worsening by the moment. Infiltration initiated Lord Apocalypse proceeding with information or infection of primary cybernetic core. All targets standard defensive system re rendered, uh, inoperative. And higher order cognitive functions inhibited, barring the introduction of unforeseen countermeasures, the trader ship prognosis is terminal. Do these bad guys, do they escape? Where are they? Because you see them on the floor. They're just on the floor. But then you, you cut to the wide shot above them and they're like, look, look what's happening. And the ship that they crashed into ship with is burrowing further into the ship and they go, Oh, this isn't good, but there's no trace of the bad guys. They're off panel. Somewhere. Okay. Behind uh, archangels wings, I guess. 
yeah, you know, they're they're either unconscious or shackled. Okay. Um, or something. So then we get some of Apocalypse's uh, files, uh, and I, I didn't really read Archangel or Cyclops. I did read a little bit about Jean's. And there is a hint. Could she be the Phoenix Force again? Could she come to terms with her internal struggles and let free the terrible energies contained within her? This really, I think, sort of confirms what you're okay. you're saying. It's, I did not read the Jean Grey or the Archangel one. I read the Cyclops one, which interestingly said, Summers is the father spawn of the Twelve, oh. the archetype beings who will one day save or damn mutant kind. He is the spark that fans the flames of the ones who exist and the ones yet to be born. I don't – does that – the story ever pay off? So these were written by Fabian Nicieza. Okay, so yep, you're right. I think, I think there is a uh, The Twelve crossover at some point, probably when he's writing. Well, yeah. I mean The Twelve has been a thing forever. For, yeah, for a while. Yeah. So – then that's X Factor to be continued. To be continued. Um, so let's turn our attention to to She Hulk. Sensational She Hulk number twenty five six. Twenty six. Yeah, featuring uh, X Factor. Um, Excalibur. Even. Excalibur, rather. Um, I'm I'm sort of mixed on this issue. Like, I've never read much of She Hulk. I. I get the impression that goofy things happen in her book, which is fine, which is great. Uh, but I've always been sort of skeptical, like, is this just an excuse to draw sexy She-Hulk? And I read this issue, and that was absolutely confirmed. <laughs> so, yes, it is an excuse to draw sexy She-Hulk, for sure. But there's also a lot of fun stuff and goofy villains and yeah. breaking the fourth wall. And she hangs out with a character named Wheezy. And uh, is that supposed to be Louis Simonson? Yeah. Okay. And uh, remember in that art uh, issue of Spider-Man that we covered, there was that villain with the bubble head. It's like Ruby, Ruby something. No. It was based on the Rolling Stones song. Well, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, I do. I remember that. Yeah. And she yeah, had yeah. like a, she had a ball head and we mm-hmm, were kind mm-hmm. of fascinated by her. Yeah. She, she's also in uh, early issues of She-Hulk. Yeah. Um, it's a it's a fun it's a fun early run. It's all John Byrne. This is it's, isn't John Byrne though, is it? This is not John yeah. Byrne. So he's left the book now. Well, he's in the next. So because like there there's a very like gratuitous segment of this issue. Is like do they do this every issue? And so I just looked at the next issue, which is drawn by John Byrne. Uh, and and yes, there's like some shower scenes and stuff. I'm like, geez, <laughs> this is comics in the nineties. Yes, it's, I mean it's it's. She was the, what it is. <laughs> she was the cover of uh, Marvel Illustrated Swimsuit Edition number one. She is a very attractive, tall, green woman. Yeah. What can you say? Yeah. So she's off to London because there's some issues with Megan. There's um, a trial. A, a trial. trial of Megan. Yep. And she's a lawyer. Yep. So she's going to defend Megan uh, and uh, while they're... And route uh, their plane is hit attacked by Captain Britain. By Captain at some, Britain, at yep. some point. Yep. She she whips out her ID and she's like, "I'm an Avenger. I can help." I think, which is kind of funny. And then there's some guy in her boob saying, "So to speak." Yeah. This is the type of humor this is. Yeah. 
And uh, so X, the rest of Excalibur is also sort of on the trail of uh, Captain Britain. Um, and they're, they're ultimately able to save the airplane and... Um, yeah. I don't know. Bring, bring, it, it, Widget's a part of this team, which is weird. I feel like Widget gets more uh, screen time in other books than, than he does in Excalibur. Everybody really likes Widget except for in the pages of Excalibur. Yeah, and Widget could be a very cool character. Uh, we don't really know what he does except in this he's got his head and then like a bulbous body and he's just kind of floating around. And at one point Kitty's like, we can't trust him to take us home, which might be a reference to the cross time thing. But then She-Hulk says, now you tell me, which I, I don't understand what that's a reference to. Like, did She-Hulk attempt to teleport through <laughs> Widget. Widget or something? I don't know. So they ultimately get She-Hulk to the um, lighthouse, and they're like, yeah, something's happening with Captain Britain. First it was happening with Megan. Right. So there was a giant trash monster on the loose, and because Megan's powers allow her to... Empathy. Yeah. Like, uh, empathy or whatever, the the trash monster possessed her, and the trash monster likes eating stuff, and so she goes into a tasty burger, and she starts eating all the food, and that's why she's being sued because she destroyed a tasty burger. Yeah. But then the uh, trash monster goes inside of Captain Britain, and now there, and that brings us up to where we are. So She Hulk comes up with a plan, and it involves her getting completely naked for some reason. Except for a trash bra and a trash panties, I guess. With cans. It's I mean if you're gonna do this, it's it's kind of a fun design because she's got like <laughs> little straps and like cans hanging off of her and stuff. And I'm like, I wish whatever was happening made more sense. <laughs> but her her rationale is if she does this, uh It'll take everybody's mind off of what's happening, or it'll. So take... she's tr- she's trying to get the trash monster to possess her, and in the process of possessing her, Rachel's going to jump in and stop the trash monster from possessing her. But in order to do that, the argument is that she has to show off how awesome her body is and show that she's. If you really want to have a have a powerful hero under your spell, I'm the one you want, sort right. of thing. Alistair, what's his face, is there with a the camera, just like taking pictures, like, this is amazing. <laughs> and then uh, the cop guy that's sort of skeptical of Excalibur, I forget his name, he's like, tell me you got that. I got it. Which I feel like is a movie reference that has either already happened or is about to happen. Okay. I don't remember what movie. But Ghostbusters. Maybe. <laughs> Probably. So, yeah, it, it seems like a very contrived plan for the penciler to draw a very sexy pinup of She-Hulk. Exactly, which is <laughs> fine. You know, it, it's that's probably why you're buying this comic if you're I buying guess. this. I I actually own a couple issues of She-Hulk that had a crossover with Howard the Duck for some reason. That sounds fun. And, and I don't think those had cheesy pinups in them. But no, it was uh, Howard the Duck's girlfriend that had the cheesy pinups. Maybe. Right, doesn't she have a isn't that like her whole thing? It's... Oh, I don't I don't think her girlfriend was in the She Hulk issues. Oh, of, okay. Okay. Of uh I kinda remember them vaguely. They, there was like a, it was like a three parter that was fun. It involved some kind of wacky uh villain and kind of the tick like. Okay. But he has a, a a bunch of wacky villains that he faces and that's I think that's what they're kind of building up She Hulk to be is that kind of book where it's silly and fun and a bunch of ridiculous things where you can have Howard the Duck crossover or 
you know. And all of that sounds like a lot of fun. And and, and for the most part, this issue is is actually a, a fun, right? So the plan does ultimately work. Again, yes. I don't know why she needs to be naked, but but she is, and the, the trash monster does try to take over. I think at the end of the day, it's just because it's silly. Right. She-Hulk, and then uh, uh, Phoenix is able to intercept, uh, and then all of the garbage falls on London. Uh, Captain Britain is back to himself. He's like, what happened? And She-Hulk's <laughs> like, still naked, still got a trash bra. She's like, oh, I need a bath. Uh, and then Nightcrawler's like, what are, we, what are we going to do with all this rubbish? And... I uh, guess She-Hulk immediately is able to get all of that garbage turned into 100% right recycled paper blotter. I don't know what paper blotter is, but I'm just going to assume it's a notebook. I think it's a notebook. And <laughs> I know what's happening here. She's like looking at a reflection on her seatback tray on the plane, but it kind of looks like she has a She-Hulk um, coffee coaster. I'm fine with either of those. <laughs> I'd actually rather it be the latter. It's like, with some of the recycled garbage, I made placemats of my face. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's supposed to be a reflection. Uh, and meanwhile, uh, somebody, uh, Nightcrawler says, hey, um, the hit Thomas, I guess is his name, that cop. It's like, hey, are, are we off the hook? And he's like, yeah, I guess. You're fine. <laughs> I guess everybody was possessed. Yeah, so... Okay, we got enough evidence to prove Megan was possessed. So all's well uh, that ends well. Indeed. So a fun, a fun issue. And uh, who is the artist on this? Uh, Brian Hitch. Brian Hitch. Good. I, I don't. I've never. I don't think I'm familiar with his work, but good, good comic work. I'm familiar from his work from the Ultimates, which was the ultimate version of the Avengers. Okay. So that's like in the mid 2000s or something. So I did not. I was not aware that he was uh, still doing stuff, but I think he actually drew those issues of uh, She-Hulk and Howard the Duck that I'm referring to as well. So I should I should know him better, but I don't. Shame on me. Shame on you, Adam. That takes us over to Excalibur number 36, as long as we're continuing to talk about Excalibur. In an outrageously overwhelming, omnifarious out-and-out onslaught against the outlandish outlaws, says the cover. Well done. Uh, who wrote this thing? I, I don't know. Uh, Scott like no, Lobdell, probably. No Last issue was Scott Lobdell. The credits might be at the end. Oh, Scott Lobdell. I'm seeing this in Marvel uh, Unlimited. Scott Lobdell. Okay. Um, this, is a, this, is a, this is an interesting issue. It's, this gives a little bit more color and backstory to, to Brian Braddock. Uh, there's a problematic bit I want to talk about in the middle. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. You know, I read this a while ago, so I <laughs> I also don't. read this a couple of weeks ago for some reason, so I had to sort of re-skim to be like, what's this thing all yeah. about? I skimmed it last night, but I don't remember what you're talking about because I honestly don't. I remember the crux of the issue is that Brian used to be a researcher and his research partner or I guess boss back in the day uh, is now under fire for doing some sort of nuclear reaction testing and now there are uh, people outside his building protesting no nukes and such, and Excalibur feel the need to go investigate for some reason. Yeah, the, the theme is that people and things aren't necessarily what you think they are, right? So start starts off with Captain Britain's a strong man, but he used to be a, a research at Darkmoor Center. See, people aren't uh, what you think. And he apparently he was a workaholic. 
he'd stay up all night doing all these research product, uh, projects and then his his boss uh, or the professor would be like you need to go home uh but by the way you need to be back here in 5 hours even though you basically worked an all nighter <laughs> that's not problematic that's just comics uh, so then fast forwarding in time, uh, Excalibur shows up and they're not. Even Rachel says, this is not really our forte. And Nightcrawler right. says, yeah, it's not. But Brian requested we be here. So he's probably got his reasons. So they show up and, and Captain Britain is like, all right, you protesters, get out of here. And Kitty's like, wait a minute. I thought we were here to help the protesters. Uh, and she's like, hey, Captain Britain, don't you know that nukes are the pits? Nuclear energy is the pits. <laughs> and uh, Captain Britain's like, nuclear energy is super important. With your science background, you should know that. And they're sort of arguing. And uh, Rachel's like, guys, uh, we're Excalibur. We should probably go inside. Um, And so they meet Meanwhile. up with uh, the professor there. And uh, Captain Britain's like, oh, man, I look up to you so much. I respect you. So glad to see you. And Kitty's giving him a bit of a hard time. And uh, Captain Britain's like, you leave him alone. <laughs> you inside of the, in in the protesters, uh, you missed you missed that silver sable and the Sandman are there. Yeah, I mean, on the very next page, uh, they all burst in: uh, Sandman, Paladin, Silver Sable, Rocket Racer. Is that it? Yes. Yeah. And they also have an inside man, the Prowler. Yeah. Who is hard at work already, and was like, "Oh, the Queen's version of the X Men just showed up." Yeah, and. You may know these, as the comic book points out, as villains, but they are now the heroes for hire. And if people need yes. a problem solved, they pay the heroes for hire to go solve the problem. And uh, the book also points out that this is prior to Sandman joining uh, the Avengers, which is a thing I didn't know that happened. So if you're reading the Avengers now, which is written by Larry Hama, oh. uh, Sandman is a secondary member of the avengers and i think the avengers get kidnapped or something so he has to be a primary member for a little bit uh, so they fight um the problematic bit for me anyways is on page 11 um oh yes okay rachel's kind of like she's got this whole thing under control she's but then he she gets zapped by paladin and silver sable is like Keep her distracted. I don't care how you do it. And he's like, huh, well, uh, I'll just give this a try. Uh, and he he starts smooching her. And I don't know if he's got the power to to mind control people, uh, uh, empathy, uh, or otherwise compromise Rachel's good senses. But they basically spend the rest of the issue kissing while this whole battle is happening and at the end of the issue they're both kind of looking at each other like call me uh yeah and i was like i don't like this <laughs> it's, it's very yucky it's uh it's you know so i think fabian nisieza scott lubdell they're both they're both young men they're both coming into comics for the first time comics in the history of them has been you know strong men uh damsels in distress strong women but you know women are obviously inferior sort of thing um i don't know i feel like this is like this is just prevalent in the 90s and it is going to continue to get more prevalent as we get deeper into the 90s and that's unfortunate it but it very much has a feel of like you know the whole revenge of the nerds uh yeah sequence where you know, at the end of the event, she's like, you're that nerd. 
but you are so wonderful. I love you now. <laughs> I get the same vibe of like, and she doesn't say anything. She doesn't even really seem to struggle. She's got a question mark over her head. Uh, but sort of the implication I get is that he goes in for the kiss and he's so good at kissing that she's like, oh, 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 okay. And she succumbs to his kissing prowess. And like you said, he, they both say, call me sometime mm-hmm. at the end, which is, that's really the problematic part. Well, because this, in my opinion, should have ended with, you know, he goes in for this and she just like blasts him away with Phoenix Force. And she's like, right. you get your hands off me, you disgusting person. That's realistically what would happen. Right. But this is, I wonder, uh, yeah. I, Unless I wonder... he's got a power in which he can hypnotize or, you know, whatever. And she's just under the sway. And if that's the case, then at the end, she would be like, I never want to see that person again. Uh, I'm, I'm, I feel so dirty. I need to go shower. Not call me. <laughs> so I don't think he has that power. I don't think he does either. I think he's just a guy with a gun. I think he's just an amazing kisser. And <laughs> that's what we're supposed to take away from this. And, you know, it's 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 the thing that an editor probably should have stepped in and said, it kind of goes nowhere and is weird. Yeah. Uh, can we not do this? Yeah. Or can we do something else? Because obviously the intent is just to get Rachel out of the equation so that the rest right. of the fight can happen. So the rest of the fight does happen. Uh, Prowler and Kitty. Um, See, in She-Hulk, they would have made fun of it as well as doing it. And it would have been kind of, you know, a little more fun and silly. I could see in She-Hulk, like... Because Rachel sort of bent backwards in a submissive pose of maybe She-Hulk doing the opposite, putting the man in the submissive pose, finishing yeah. the kiss and being like, I don't have time for this right now. I'll talk to you later. And then getting back to whatever the, the fight was. And then maybe at the end being like, yeah, call me. You set the tone of your comic book right. and it's kind of like it's She-Hulk is silly. So you can get away with stuff like the, the cheesecake nature of it. It's because, you know, it's not intended to be taken seriously. This, however, is very serious so you have this thing in the middle of it that's why it just becomes problematic yes so kitty phases prowler into a wall and i don't remember how or why but they they see a a a problem they they sort of see like why like a nuclear reactor or something yeah we don't see it but they see it i like the bit with uh kitty and uh prowler where he's sort of a scientist who He's like, have you have you tried pneumatics as a possible cure for your phasing issue? And she's like, it's theoretically impossible to use it as a means to recalibrate the molecular bonding in the DNA matrix. True, but I was thinking, and then they phase through mm-hmm. a wall. And I, I like that they're kind of discussing. Yeah, that could work. The problem, <laughs> if not for, whatnot. huh? We better table this discussion. Do you see what I see? Oh my god, how embarrassing. Sam's kind of asking if Brit- British people still use bloke, yeah, which was yeah. fun. He says blimey, and Captain Britain's like, nobody says that. He's like, well, can I call you bloke? And then that's actually not paid off for a couple pages, which is kind of yeah. nice that there was some restraint of bloke's fine. Um, oh, and for the record, bloke is still okay, but it's Captain Bloke to you. I like that yeah. bit. It's funny. And it's funny that uh, Sandman is still trying to s- say British things. Tea and crumpets. How strong is this guy? <laughs> um, and so Kitty and uh, Prowler come out and they're like, hey, you guys got to get a load of this. They punch through a wall and they see that there's a bunch of uh, human husks hanging upside down. Uh, and 
Captain Britain's like, what? What's going on, Professor? And he pulls his mask off, and apparently he's some discarded Arnim Zola clone. Yeah, he he doesn't just pull his face off. He pulls his entire body off. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, he, I guess, he was, uh, he says, I am only an empty vessel, a faulty construct of the original Zola, had all but forgotten, the victim of a loose wire, a burnt circuit. I was foolish enough to believe I was alive. Um, and, yeah, look what I've been reduced to. I hate this. I'm, I, I built a bunch of clones, and I'm using them to power this nuclear fission reactor or something. And we need to, uh, I don't know, it brings a monster through. Yeah. Because they have to fight something. So they, they all team up together to fight the monster. But it basically all comes down to uh, somebody has to basically take out this Arnim Zola clone in order to stop the monster. And I'm not sure, does he commit suicide or does Captain Britain, like, de- destroy him? They determine that it's, like, the box on top of his head that they need to do because Kitty phases through it temporarily. Mm-hmm. And, f- mm-hmm. and uh, then Megan, as Sandman mm. with her sand powers, just shoves a bunch of sand in, That's right. into the thing. And she says, my powers are empathetic. Once I was inside him, I knew it had to be done. He wanted to be destroyed, Brian, so that the rest of us could live. Yeah, and then uh, skateboard rocket man says, "Wow, you guys do this for free?" I like Rocket Racer. He's silly and stupid, <laughs> and that's an enjoyable thing in the '90s comics. But you need more silly and stupid and less uh, serious and boring. <laughs> so Captain Britain says goodbye to his professor. It's uh, like, please, I have to know: was there ever such a person person as Doctor Walsh? Was he real? If a man's life is this is hard to read measured by the love and respect of others. If you believed in our dream of a better world, then yes, lad, I was real. If not, then I'm sorry, bro. <laughs> Don't apologize for being who you are, sir, but he's gone. It doesn't become a gentleman. And then the issue ends with, see, people are seldom who we think they are. They're often much more after call me sometime. <laughs> they say in unison yeah I don't, I don't like it and they're like ugh, rachel's got her, like her hands behind her back she's all shy i don't like it because it's not rachel it's gross and it it it's just it reflects the the, the that period of time in comic books yeah. more than anything and then we get a teaser that technet is returning adam do you remember technet I do, because it's got the giant purple person. Do you remember them ever being called TechNet in the past? Oh, I just assumed, yeah, I don't know. I just assumed that if, if they're calling them TechNet here, they must have called them TechNet before. I don't recall, so, so but probably. maybe. <laughs> or maybe I know that from the future. I don't know. I don't know either. But yeah, it's got the, it's got the lady from uh, Excalibur number one, uh, the big one, uh, the big thick issue. And then a few of the... Because we've never referred to these people as TechNet before. We've always referred to them as the crazy gang. Because I feel like that's what they were calling themselves. I think that I, if TechNet I had to have shown up someplace. But yeah, the crazy gang is definitely a thing. You got that I big nose thing with the tentacles and the baby. This is one of those things where I would have to go back and look. And we ain't got time for that. No, Ain't nobody got time for that. <laughs> New Warriors number 10 is a, a an issue that I skimmed. Uh, for the most part, it just involves fighting. So I can, I can see that. Um, there was a lot of 
fighting. So this one has the Hellions and Emma Frost, and the Hellions attack uh, Night Thrasher, who is the leader of the New Warriors. I'm going to say New Mutants at some point. I'm just letting you know. <laughs> I didn't. Whenever I say New Mutants, I mean New Warriors. Um, and we get a little... We, there's some new Hellions, but mostly it's the old Hellions. There's a new giant uh, brute guy whose mm-hmm. name I think is Brute. Uh, everything, everybody else, I think, is the same. Oh no, there's there's this other guy. Uh, no, Jetstream, he's he's been around. I thought there was another new guy. Is the blonde uh, empath? You know, I don't know because we don't. He never uses. He doesn't do anything in this issue. Yeah, he never really talks. Uh... So I'm gonna say no, because I think the blonde is the one who falls off the building at the end of the issue. Uh, well, the blonde with curly hair is that magma. Uh, no, okay. that's roulette. Or tarot. Mm. Yeah, I didn't really know who any of these guys were. On page So five, the redhead is roulette, so the blonde is tarot, and the blue-haired is cat's paw. The big guy is brute. The black-haired, curly guy, curly black-haired guy is uh, Jetstream, and the blonde kid is somebody new. On page five, brute is holding up somebody by the neck. Yeah. And just the way it's drawn... To me, it looked like that person's body, because that person's wearing like a robe, was maybe <laughs> like uh, like a cape or something that was coming off of Brute's costume, uh, and I, I couldn't I couldn't discern that there was a body attached to it, and it just looked to me like he was carrying like a shrunken head, because <laughs> the head is so small compared to his body, and the rest of that head's body kind of blends into Brute's costume. Could be his leg, you know, could be like a sash or something. Uh, so I, I had to study this issue and like zoom in and out <laughs> to figure out like, oh, okay, that's a person that he's holding up by the neck. So yes. That was kind of funny, but. You just thought it was a, a small head. Basically, yeah. yeah. Uh, Emma Frost shows up and she's, Mark Bagley draws her with this one long boot and one very exposed leg, which is just a weird design. You just choose one. Is either two long boots or or. Two long legs. I think just, everybody just that one. draws Emma Frost takes license to be like, okay, she wears lingerie and I can put her in whatever is my thing. <laughs> and apparently this is his thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's consistent with other issues of New Warriors that she's been in. This is her New Warriors costume. Okay. Uh, the rest of the New Warriors show up. Um, I don't like it when Brute holds these heads because that's a lot of weight to dangle off of a neck. Well, you know, I feel like that would do some permanent damage. Maybe they're on Apple boxes. We okay. just don't see them. That could be. <laughs> <laughs> no, a page earlier they are hold, held up in the air. Mm. But a page earlier, they're, he's kind of holding them up more by their shoulders and necks. But anyway, yeah. whatever. They're fine. It's going to be okay. It's fine. So the new warriors join the fight, um, and they are pretty. I mean, it's pretty evenly matched between them and the Hellions, so much that Emma Frost and the woman with the shrunken head that you referred to who is now awake mm-hmm. uh, decide that uh, this whole thing is about Firestar. And they make a bet that if the New Warriors win, uh, Firestar can do what she wants. But if the Hellions win, uh, Firestar has to go with Emma Frost back to the Academy. Um Ultimately, the new warriors win, and Firestar's 
then when they reveal the bad truth, like I wouldn't have gone with you anyway. Yeah. I'm a, I'm my own agent. I'm free now. And these are my friends and you never allowed me to have friends when I was at the Academy. And that's why I left. And Emma Frost is like, well, okay, but when you decide to apologize and you will, I'll be waiting and I might even forgive you. So it was, it was fun. I mean, overall, it's a fun issue if you like superhero fights and yeah. everybody using their kind of individual powers against each other. Um, I enjoyed it, but I've been reading along with New Warriors since it started. So I'm kind of enjoying these characters. Um, I can't figure out who the blonde haired kid is. but I even collected New Warriors for a little while and I don't remember... Anybody but Speedball, Night Thrasher, and Namorita. Speedball's fun. Night Thrasher's cool. He's like the Batman character. Yep. Namorita. Yeah, those are the only three that kind of... I mean, Firestar stands out, I guess. I suppose, yeah. They have a pretty important role in Civil War. That's fun. Not for a while, yeah, but they yeah. they sure do. <laughs> uh. And so that leads us to our final issue here. Uh, Marvel Comics presents number 64, which is Wolverine and Ghost Rider. This must have made your day. You know I bought this issue. Oh, yeah. Because heck yeah. And the and the backing issue, which I didn't read because I don't care, uh, is a Blade story. It was okay. And I don't, I don't know if the Blade movie had come out by this time or if the Blade movie is no, not for a while. Not for a while. Blade movie was just like the X-Men movie came out in the 2000s. So the Blade must have been late 90s. I think you're right. Yeah. Blade movie. I'm going to say say the first one was 96. 98. Okay. And I feel like the X-Men number one, we've had this conversation before, was 99. But it might be 2000. It's either 99 or 2000. Uh, That's Maybe even 2001. Okay. 2000. So yeah, this was pretty good. I mean, you know, as as you can get in eight pages, you have. Wolverine getting attacked by ninjas in a bar in Madripoor on the tops of all the pages. And Ghost Rider, uh, Danny Ketch, getting attacked by ninjas uh, on the bottoms of all the pages. And it all kind of corresponds. And these ninjas turn out to be uh, minions of Death Watch, who is a Ghost Rider villain, if you're following along in the pages of Death Rider. This uh, Ghost Rider guy, or, uh, yes, Ghost you, Rider. You called him Death Rider, which I think now actually needs to become a comic book. <laughs> Death Watch, Death Rider, Wolver Rider, <laughs> uh, Wolver Watch. <laughs> this uh, this karate character is new to these pages, but uh, he he almost I don't know if he's dead at the end of this or if he's just wounded. I guess we'll find out next issue. I don't really see much of a reason for. Wolverine to be going back to New York because of this? Like, I don't know. Why, why does he care? Why, why is he tra- tracking down Death Watch? He just got attacked by ninjas. That doesn't mean he needs to, like, do anything. He gets... I feel like Wolverine gets attacked by ninjas every other day. But Yeah, I don't know. But I enjoyed it nonetheless. It was decent writing. It was definitely a uh, pick-me-up from the last issue where I was just like, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I skimmed it. Um, and the art's great. It's by Mark Texeria, who used to draw, who who drew the first few issues of Ghost Rider. I definitely did not catch <laughs> Danny Ketch. I actually didn't catch that the top half uh, was Wolverine and the bottom half was Ghost Rider because Ghost Rider himself doesn't really appear all that much. 
No. It's just like some ninja stuff was ha- – seemed to me like Wolverine stuff was happening on the top and like some ninja backstory stuff was happening on the bottom. Uh, and then a little later on, you see Ghost Rider on his bike uh, and then you see Ghost Rider howling uh, at the end, holding the red-headed karate guy. This is twice Death Watch or I don't know. What does Ghost Rider sound like? He sounds like fire. <laughs> no. <laughs> he sounds like uh, – oh, God. Why can't I think of his name? Nicholas Cage. Yes. <laughs> You're going to attempt to do a Nicholas Cage. Uh, so Nicholas Cage played Johnny Blaze Ghost Rider, not Dan Ketch Ghost Rider. This is twice Death Watch. It won't happen again. <laughs> I don't know if that was good or not, but that's I was that was worth it. This whole episode was just worth it for that. Yeah. I don't know if it was good either, but it made me laugh. <laughs> that's my Nicholas Cage. The uh the Blade story, uh, I will briefly mention is titled Vampires, but it does not feature any vampires because I guess in the Marvel Universe currently, the vampires, including Dracula, are dead. Yeah. So Blade has nothing to do. Isn't Blade a v- vampire? Uh, no, I think that's a thing that was introduced in the movies that the comics later brought into the comics. Isn't M- M- Mor- Dr. Morbius, isn't he a vampire? So Morbius is half a vampire. Some, like he's, he's like a weird, I don't know what his deal is. He's not dead though. Yeah. As we will see in the pages of Spider-Man soon. Yeah. Well, Not that we, we cover we that, so we won't that. actually see that. <laughs> but if you're following along on Spider-Man, eventually you're going to see some Morbius. If I recall correctly, that's where Todd McFarlane dipped out for a couple issues. I think he does a two-part Morbius story, mm. and then he does an X-Force crossover story, and then he's gone forever. Yeah. And then Eric Larson does a six-part Sinister, Sinister Six? Six story that I bought a couple of issues of because it had Ghost Rider in it. Oh, I think I was going to try to maintain it by by, but by that time I was buying like like twelve books, and I was like, "Eh, that's too many books, too many books." So Spider Man got the cut, some other stuff got the cut, kept up with X Men, uh, and then lost interest for a very long time until one day. Until one day. Uh, and, and, and one day we'll talk about it on this very podcast. So uh, I'll spoil it now. I was at a grocery store and <laughs> there was a like X-Men number 462 or 362 or I don't know what issue was, but it was very high up. I was like, oh, the X-Men. And Nightcrawler was featured on the cover. And I read it and Nightcrawler was full priest mode and like nothing was happening in the issue. And so I put it back on the rack and checked out my groceries and left. Well, that's not really a story about how you got back into X-Men, though. No, it's not. But that was a, a moment in time where I was like, oh, I wonder what's happening. Oh, I'm not interested. I think the thing, and I've, I've mentioned this before, the thing that brought me back for a little while uh, was the Brubaker story. Oh, what Deadly about Genesis. the uh, the Astonishing X-Men? Was that before or after Deadly Genesis? That's a good question. Um, I would have probably read that at any time just because it, it pulls on all of those nostalgia strings. Yeah. So I may not have counted that. Plus, didn't you send me that? Yes. Yeah, uh, as a gift, yeah. I think it came out in hardcover. So I was like, oh, I think Jeremy will like this. Yeah, and I did. I read that thing in like a day or two. I think I've read it a couple of times, actually. I think I teared up at the end, the giant size Astonishing X-Men, which I won't spoil for those of you who, have, who haven't read the 15, 20-year-old series. You should read it. It's yeah, if you haven't, it is good. Grant Morrison's run. Did you buy any of that? Um, 
The only thing I bought of Grant Morrison's run, which was way after the run, was the first three issues. Uh, I was at a buy and sell shop, and they happened to have just those three issues bound up together for like a dollar. And I was like, yeah, sure, I'll check this out. Uh, and I read it. I was like, it was really good. Um, but I don't think I've ever actually read much of that run. And I know it's really good. It is really good, but the art is like in those three issues that you got, the art is amazing. Yeah. But then it dips and it in, it ends well. I think Andy Kubert or Adam Kubert finishes off the run, them, but yeah. there are some artists that I don't know. I think people thought were good that I just hate in that run that it just, it just seems sloppy and awful. And, but that's, but I'm not, you know, I'm not an artist. So does the story make up for it? And you're able to look past that. It's very, if, if art is really, really bad, and this is just the thing for me, mm-hmm. it makes, it makes it very hard for me to get into the story. And I think it makes the story, it makes the story worse. And Grant Morrison's stories can already be fairly confusing. Cause he does a lot of like, I don't know, thoughtful, heady, interesting stuff. But if the art isn't good, it makes it sort of harder to follow. And it's already, if it's already something that would be hard to follow, then I'm just checking out. So I had the same experience and this is why I stopped. So I collected for like a while in my early thirties, I guess with that deadly Genesis. So I bought that and then I started, uh, Ed Brubaker started writing the uncanny X-Men. So I started buying those and that of course led into civil war house of M a bunch of like, and then all of a sudden, once again, I'm buying like 12 books because they're all sort of interconnected. (laughs) But the thing that sort of killed it was he did a 12 part rise and fall of Shi'ar where I don't know if it was bi-monthly or bi-weekly or every two weeks. Um, Uh, His script was, I think pretty solid, but they had the good artist on the odd issues. And I guess the guest penciler or another penciler, on the even issues and it was just disjointed and uh, I was like, I I can't read these odd issues because the art is not up to par. Yeah. Uh, and then I never, I was just like, ah, I'm done. I have that in hardcover, but I've never read it. That's the, a Diddly Genesis hardcover that I've never read. The read Rise it. and Fall of Shear. It's fun. I will when we get there. I think it's only like six issues. In 20 years. Oh, sure. Sure. <laughs> or if the, if, if the podcast ever stops, then I will I will read it. Just yeah, just read it, man. Just just read it. If you read it now, you'll you'll have forgotten about it by then. You can reread it and re-enjoy it. I'm reading other stuff right now, so you know I'm sure I, I, I might just read it someday. Who knows? It might it might only be good the one time though, you know, because it's got like the twists and turns. Which by now you probably already know what all those twists. Yeah, and turns I do know. Are anyways, turns, but, but I didn't. So as I was reading it, I was like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> so if I reread it, I'd be like, oh yeah. I know. So there are, uh, as a sort of a side note, there's there's X Men stories happening in Guardians of the Galaxy that takes place in the super far future of the X Men universe, or I guess the Marvel universe, and it involves like Wolverine's grand great 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 granddaughter. It's like a three part story. It's got some it's got some deep cuts as far as the X Men goes. It doesn't have any actual characters that we're dealing with but like their relations and what it sort of kind of talks about what happens to the x-men should we should we i'm asking the fans should we should we do like a one-off episode where we just cover those three issues do you guys care are those published now 
or are they published in 1991? They were published in 1991 alongside with what we're reading now. Huh, interesting. I didn't know so, that. So it, it doesn't really fit with what we're doing, but you know, we could just do like a one-off episode. It probably wouldn't take that long to skim through the three issues. So let us know if you're interested. Are you interested, Jeremy? I don't know. Call to action. Okay. I'm just, I'm just a, I don't care. Okay. <laughs> but maybe other folks do. And if they do, then I do. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what that says about me. Yeah, I was just, I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> I'm not jumping in on that one. But if you'd like to let us know what you think about that or any of the other things that we do, you can do so by visiting us at www.xmenpodcast.com, facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Danger Room Go uh, or email us, dangerroom at xmenpodcast.com. Go out to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts to do all the liking and subscribing and leaving of stars and things of that nature. Uh, or you can go out to patreon.com forward slash danger room where we're talking about the very latest run. Well, six months behind, but you know, the more modern run of X-Men, uh, as well as our hot takes on pop culture and eighties culture. That's, that's, that's pretty accurate, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's pop culture to, I guess, nostalgia culture. Yeah. <laughs> pop and nostalgia culture. Uh, yeah. And our music is, uh, theme music is provided by Laszlo Hollyfeld. Sure is. And that's, uh, I don't know, Adam, you got anything else? No. I, this, is a, this was a short one-ish, sort of. Yeah. I don't it's, know. It's, it's funny when we're looking at an hour-long episode being like, this was a short one. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, we need to do something about that. <laughs> well, then, until next time, my name is Jeremy. And my name's Adam. And the danger room is closed. Yeah.